The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences. If you are not an adult, please do not let your parents know you're listening to this, and don't repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please drink responsibly. Now that we have all that covered, let's start the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 299, if you can believe that. Creeping up on 300 episodes. I hadn't even realized it until I looked up the number of the last episode. It was 298. So the way uh, the way numbers work is that makes this one 299. You may be joining us live. If you're not, make sure you subscribe on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Turn on your notifications so you can find out when the show is going live, like right now. Today is Sunday, December 11th. It's been a couple of weeks since I've done a show, and my apologies for that, but my house is falling apart. I'll get into that <laughs> in just a few minutes because I had to start the show congratulating two friends and training partners of mine who have had huge accomplishments over the last couple of weeks. First of all, my buddy, Dave Mundell, bare knuckle boxing, BKFC, welterweight champion. As of last weekend, third round knockout over Francesco Ricci. Um, in uh in miami so dave accomplished what i've known he was capable of for a long time um just such a solid boxer he's got so much power and if you saw these two next to each other and richie was undefeated going into this fight mind you i think he was five and oh in bare knuckle and um he had so much height and so much reach on Dave, but Dave just did such a great job getting inside, dropped him twice in the first round uh, with right hooks. Dave is a southpaw, mind you. And then um, hurt him bad with a body shot in the third round and was able to put him away. Um, starched him with a left hand, uh, left this guy unconscious for a good two minutes. Spectacular performance. And now Dave is the champ. Big congratulations to my buddy, Dave Mundell, who we're going to set something up soon uh, on the podcast to have him on. Um, Longtime listeners know Dave is a friend of the show. He's been on here uh, several times, uh, maybe three or four times over the years. He's been on here as an MMA fighter and as a bare knuckle boxer. Um, always enjoy talking to the guys. We're going to have to set something up. Obviously I've been a little inactive over the past couple of weeks. So, uh, we got to get him on here and give him his shine. He's the champ now. Can't take that away from him ever. He's going to have that BKFC belt, uh, hanging up in his house or in his garage or, or whatever he's going to do with it. So congrats to Dave. Um, super proud of the guy. Um, he, he's a guy that you like to see good things happen to because he's a solid dude. He's a loyal dude. Um, and, and he's been a, a great training partner of mine for many years now. Uh, so cheers, Dave. 
And the other, of course, the great Billy Q. Billy Quarantello, who you all know, is a buddy of mine, friend of the show, been on here, told some wild stories in the past. Um, if you want, you can go dig up some of those. The highlights are on uh, on the YouTube channel. Um, here are the wacky stuff Billy's been on here talking about. He hasn't been on in a while. we got to have him back on. Uh, coming away with a big win last night. UFC 282. Um, they had him on the prelims. I, I feel like for the last time, uh, got in there with Alexander Hernandez, who is a very skilled fighter, very tough fighter, making his featherweight debut. And when you're dropping down a weight class, a guy like Billy Q is the last person you probably want to be fighting because as Daniel Cormier put it, Billy Q melts people. He just puts a pressure that's hard to deal with. And he breaks people. It's just what he does. And in all fairness, Alexander Hernandez beat the shit out of Billy in the first round. Um, but even after that beating and even after as bloodied up as he was, I wasn't all that worried because it's kind of become Billy's M.O. to give up the first round and then come back and, and just break dudes. And that's exactly what he did with Alexander Hernandez. I even texted a buddy of mine and I said, well, in true Billy Q fashion, he lost the first round and uh, the buddy texted back. Um, I guess he was writing the text at the same time. And he said, well, at least it's not the first round. He's first, first round he's ever lost. Um, so I had confidence that Billy would come back. Um, but man, the way he did the, the pressure, he just poured on Alexander Hernandez was awesome. Uh, performance of the night bonus for Billy too. Congratulations. He's got, he's got a, a new baby at home. I'm sure that helps out a lot. Uh, those of us who are parents know how expensive, uh, <laughs> newborns can be all the, all the surprise expenses that come up with those. And, um, I couldn't be happier for the guy. Billy's such a nice and genuine dude. Um, you know, nice people in this sport and in this space, are few and far between Billy's definitely one of them. So he's another guy that I definitely feel happy for him when good things happen to him. And it's not that it happened to him. He works his ass off um, to, to develop this gas tank, to develop this pressure style that he has. Um, and and it, he's just a beast, man. You know, I, I, I t I've told this on the show many times before, but I've, I've trained with Billy. I've rolled with him and um, there's not a lot of people who can make me feel tired rolling jujitsu, but Billy is one of those guys who has me like checking the clock and seeing like, there's still four minutes left in this round. Like I feel like I've been rolling for it. 29 minutes already um he just I, and and i can't really explain what it is and i don't know if alexander hernandez can either um because here he is hitting billy with everything and the kitchen sink in the first round splits him wide open billy doesn't know what seven plus five is when he gets to the corner and uh hernandez still can't put him away so what do you do when 
when you hit a guy with everything and he just keeps coming and he doesn't stop and you keep hitting him and he's still there. That's one of the most deflating things you can experience as a fighter, as a grappler, as whatever it is you do. When you give it your best and it's not good enough, that's such a deflating feeling. And you could you could just see the will to keep going leave Alexander Hernandez as Billy kept pouring on the pressure. And um man, so proud of the guy, so happy for him. Uh, I'm glad he's going to have that extra money in his pocket. Uh, he's going to need it, you know, with the, with the new little guy around. So uh, big congratulations to Billy um, on his son and on the win, on the win bonus. And let's get this guy on the main card. Can we? I mean, I think everybody can agree. His fight with Shane Burgos is one of the, the best fights of the year. And, um, you know, fought through getting injured in that fight. Um, the, the guy puts on a show every time he's out there. And the only reason he didn't win a bonus for that fight, the only reason it wasn't fight at night is because Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler was on the same card. So damn the luck. And I was, I was worried for Billy's bonus status as this card went on, because this card was just, this card was just bonkers up until the co-main event. Every single fight was a finish. Every single one, a knockout or a submission. Crazy. You know, if you take away the, the main event and the co-main event, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people would like to forget both of those, uh, and, and we'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, you got a card of all finishes. So, man, what a pay-per-view this was. These fights were just so good. Um. We could start so many different places. Let me tell you, before we get back into the MMA stuff, let me tell you where I've been. I need to take a deep breath before I get into this. So I've been doing some projects around the house, folks. And when I say projects, my house is in shambles right now. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the bathroom in my bedroom. So... I had I don't know if anybody's ever had to deal with this. I don't know if this is like a really big issue anywhere but Florida. Um, but I had a leak in my shower and I started having a little bit of mold come through the grout in the tiles. So I knew I had to get the leak to stop. So I opened up the wall a little bit. I was looking for a manifold, which is like kind of a little screw. Um, on the handles of the shower, two-handle shower. And usually you can tighten that little screw up, that little manifold, um, and, and it'll shut the water off coming from that handle. And there was no way to shut it off. So I had just a bucket in my shower. Oh, that's my that was my alarm reminding me to, to uh, move the elf on the shelf. So somebody, <laughs> somebody remind me to do that when this show's over, please. Um, <laughs> I should just pause the show and go move that damn elf now uh, because I, I can't forget to do it. It would be disastrous. Um, 
anyway, so I had a bucket in the shower. It's building up water every day. Uh, it, it got super heavy and dumping it out. So I decided I'm going to find the shutoff for the shower. I, I, mind you, I could have called a plumber, but um, I just wasn't, I wasn't raised that way. <laughs> I was raised to try and figure shit out. I'll never forget something my dad told me when I was a kid because he was he was fixing like the drain in our basement. He was like snaking it out. And um, I remember I, I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. And I said, how did you learn how to do all this stuff? And he just didn't even look up. And he said, he said, because I can't afford to pay somebody else to do it. And that's always stuck with me. Like every time something goes wrong, I decide, um, you know, I, I'm going to handle it myself because... I don't know, nurture over nature. I, I don't know, but that's what I did. So I rip out more of the shower and I find there's a shutoff valve all the way in the floor of the shower for some reason. So I shut the water off there. And um, luckily that valve worked because normally with these things, rule of thumb with plumbing, for those of you who never messed with plumbing before, if you haven't touched something in your house, for a long time, plumbing wise, the assumption you should make is that it doesn't work. And that's just because, especially if you have hard water like we do here in Florida, you get a lot of buildup and things and shit just doesn't work anymore. So I found the shut off and then I had a mold company come in and test the mold. And they said that it, it was a bad kind of mold and I would have to have it professionally remediated. Um, so again, my stubborn ass decides I'm going to remediate it myself. So I bought an air scrubber um, on Black Friday and I spent all weekend last weekend uh, ripping out this shower. Now, mind you, when you're dealing with mold, once you open up the wall, the spores get out into the air and then they get in the air conditioning and everything. I may be boring a lot of you with this, but those of you who... Uh, work on your own houses may appreciate this story. So I had to cover up the bathroom with six mil plastic so that the spores can't get out. Then I run the air scrubber on negative pressure, which means I had a duct running out the window, which was also sealed with plastic. I also covered the entire room with plastic. I covered the HVAC vents with plastic. And um, I wore coveralls and a mask and goggles and all this shit. And I went in and I ripped out all the tile. I found the mold that was like kind of in the studs um, and in the floor. And anywhere I saw it, I sprayed it with mold killer. And I also shaved the wood down. Um, luckily, it wasn't too rotted or anything. But yeah, it took me, uh, it, it took me a good three days to do this by myself. This was last weekend, which is why I didn't do a show last weekend. The weekend before is a plumbing story that I'll save for another time. Basically, I just tried to replace a, a faucet handle in this same bathroom and um, wound up having to replace the, the main house shut off. But th that's another long story I won't bore you guys with. So it took me all weekend to um 
to get this mold problem taken care of and to completely gut my shower, which was, it's a very odd shape. It has what's called a mortar shower pan, which is basically concrete. Um, and I, everything had to be like double bagged and carried outside immediately. So it doesn't contaminate the whole house. It, it's just a mess. And um, I, I would never want to deal with this again. So um, that's that. And, and we don't have to get into that anymore. Um, all right, let's talk some fights. Enough with me fighting with my house. <laughs> um, because I'm kind of tired of talking about it anyway. UFC 282. This card was awesome. Um, I, I would, I would say the second best card of the year so far, um, UFC 281 is the front runner for me currently. Uh, but man, this card top to bottom was awesome. Um, I didn't particularly care for the co-main event, but the main event, Jan Blahovich and Magomed Ankalaev, this fight was spectacular. I loved it. Um, I know Dana White wasn't crazy about it. I know a lot of people were complaining that it was ruled a draw. Um, it, I got to be honest with you guys. I was okay with it. Um, I may be in the minority here. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm in the minority here. But I was totally fine with it because, all right, here we have the first round was kind of a feeling out round, right? We saw that Ankalaev was a lot faster than Blahovich. We saw Blahovich had better timing. So Ankalaev maybe landed a little bit more, but I thought Blahovich landed the bigger shots. I did score the round for Ankalaev. And I thought the whole fight came down to how you scored the first round. But there was no real clear winner in that round, in my opinion. I thought it was feeling out. Then in the second round, Jan started with the leg kicks, which forced Angoliev to switch stances, totally took him out of his game plan. Won that round. So Jan wins that round. Third round, Jan takes out the other leg. Angoliev couldn't even stand on it anymore. So here we are thinking... Jan's going to run away with this. He's going to keep chopping the legs down. There's nothing Ankalaev can do. Ankalaev then changes gears, changes strategies, starts wrestling with Blahovich, and runs away with rounds four and five in dominant fashion. He gets Blahovich down. And in the fifth round, Blahovich kind of fell down uh, and wound up in a really bad position. But it's not like Ankalaev had a hard time taking him down anyway. So here you have Jan wins two and three, almost stops him within those two rounds. Ankalaev wins four and five, almost stops Blahovich in those two rounds. So those are the easy ones to score. Round one was the least eventful round. And however you score that one is the way it's going to go. I'll tell you in all honesty, I was kind of rooting for Blahovich just because so many people were counting him out. They're saying, oh, he's too old and uh, Uncle Live is, too, is good everywhere. And I'm like, man, how can you count this guy out? He's been the champion. Like, he's done it before. He's got crazy power. 
He's super technical. He's got good grappling. Maybe not good takedown defense, but he's got great grappling. It comes down to how you scored that first round. And again, I was rooting for Blahovich. I scored that first round for Ankalaev. I thought Ankalaev won rounds one, four, and five. And Blahovich won two and three. But when they announced the draw, I was cool with it. I was like, wow, you know, that was a really great, really technical fight. And it was close. And how do you how do you really weigh one strategy over the other? You know, Blahovich's leg kicks versus Ankalaev's wrestling. Because a lot of people complaining about this decision are the same people who, you know, when somebody wins who they don't like they're like well they just wrestled them the whole time but now this time it's uncle doing it and they're like how do they not give him the win he should be the champion he wrestled them the whole time you see they're saying the same thing here it's just the tone is different so there's that and i know dana white was upset at this so much so that instead of booking an immediate rematch here, this is a, this is for the vacant light heavyweight title that Yuri Prohaska had to vacate because he has an injury so bad and he did the honorable thing and gave up the title. Um, Glover Teixeira could have fought Ankalaya for the belt, but he decided, you know, too short notice, too different of an opponent. And he, he passed on that. That's, you know, that's fine. That's his prerogative. So, uh, Blahovich was supposed to fight Ankalaev anyway, so they made it for the title. And they put on a great fight. But Dana was so upset with this, and I guess the organization, the matchmakers, whoever, decided right after this is over that at the next pay-per-view, they're going to have a fight for this belt, this same belt that these two guys just fought to a draw over is going to be decided in a match between Glover Teixeira and the name is escaping me for some reason. Jamal Hill. I don't know why that name escaped me. I could, anyway. So Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira are now going to fight for the light heavyweight championship at the next pay per view. Jamal Hill, mind you, was supposed to fight Anthony Smith in January. Um, Anthony Smith finds out at the broadcast desk that not only is his fight off, but Jamal Hill is getting bumped up to a title shot, and he did not take that well. And I don't blame him. It seems like this would be a great opportunity for a tournament. Even if you just do a four-man tournament, you know, UFC hasn't done one in a long time. They've even been popular when Bellator does them, right? PFL has been doing them. Why not go back to the tournament model? You know, you weren't happy with this fight. All right, rematch these two. Have Jamal Hill and Teixeira fight. Like, what's the rush to put the belt on somebody? I don't really understand. Like, why do you have to have a champion right away? 
Then you have the winner's fight. You know, the winner of Blahovich and Ankaliyev fights the winner of Teixeira and Jamal Hill. And then Yuri Pahaska comes back and fights the winner of that. I don't see the problem with it, but, you know, I'm not running a multi-billion dollar company. So it's not my call. All right, let's um, let's get into the fight that's got everybody up in arms here. Patty the Batty Pimblet against Jared Gordon. All right, so we'll start out calling it like it is. Patty got a gift from the judges in this one. He did not win this fight against Jared Gordon, uh, but he was awarded a unanimous decision. This is like... I want to say 85 to 90% of the MMA community agrees with this, that Patty lost the fight. And um, a lot of people are saying things like, and this was my initial reaction to it. A lot of people are saying things like, this is MMA taking a step in the direction of boxing, where fighters with the bigger reputation are being rewarded with judges' decisions or fighters with the bigger reputation who are more valuable to the company. The judging in their fights is set up to favor them. This is a fair complaint. Totally fair that people would think things like this after witnessing this fight where in my opinion, Jared Gordon clearly won rounds one and three. I think there's a case that he won round two as well. A lot of people sharing the reaction of Joe Rogan when the decision was announced and he just this is one of these, one of his Joe Rogan faces like, oh, what the fuck happened there? Um, so a lot of viral talk about this fight. And the way it went down, and pretty much everyone with a voice in the MMA space is saying that Jerry Gordon got robbed. And that's fair. Because if you look at, you know, blow for blow and technique for technique and takedown for takedown, he should have won. Here's my one devil's advocate point here. As someone who has judged fights myself. It's really difficult to tune out a crowd. Okay. I've judged fights where I've had the family of one fighter sitting right behind me. And it was like 15 people. So every time that fighter did something, I'm hearing a louder reaction from that group than when the other fighter did something. And it's really difficult to tune that out and to look at the fight objectively. It's really difficult because you're getting this external stimulus every time one fighter does something and you're not getting it every time the other fighter does something. In fact, it's getting quieter or it seems quieter. And the crowd was a factor in this fight. The crowd was there for Patty Pimblett. You know, they're chanting, 
Oh, Patty the Batty. And, you know, as he comes out and during the fight and they cheer every time he lands a jab or he lands a strike. That plays a factor with the judges. Okay. Because at the end of the round, when you're forced to write something down, you have to go back through your memory and think about what happened in the last five minutes. And it's a lot. You're thinking like, oh, this guy landed a takedown, but this guy landed that big overhand and this and that. And like you're doing a quick calculation in your head. And that external stimulus of the crowd is a factor. So the same people in the audience who are pissed off that Jared Gordon lost this fight are the same people who are probably responsible for him losing this fight. And that's the one point I'm going to make. So I don't go down the road of it's rigged. The judges were paid off. MMA is turning into boxing. I'm not ready to go down that road yet. I know we've had a couple of examples lately where these really popular fighters in Patty Pimblett and Sean O'Malley seem to have been gifted decisions. And I'm not letting that go. I'm not letting anyone off the hook for that. But I'm not ready to full-blown commit to any conspiracy theory or, or come out and say, like, this shit's rigged. And let me say this too. Here's another positive thing. If you want to if you want to stay away from the negativity. At least there was only two fights on this card where we needed the judges. You know? These judges were sitting back like eating nachos and drinking diet coke all night until the co-main event. And they're like, "Oh shit, we actually have to work tonight." Maybe that's a factor too. But, you know, at least At least we didn't uh, we didn't need them for the rest of the card. According to a lot of you, they fucked up the co-main and the main event. Um, but you know, to me, it was still a great card. All right, the second best comeback on this on this card, Santiago Ponzinibbio knocks out Alex Morano, who stepped up on short notice to take this fight. Murano was winning this fight, let's be honest. He was beating Ponzinibbio all around this cage. This was a catchweight fight, too, because, you know, Murano had to come in at the last minute. Ponzinibbio got his shit rocked in, I think, every single round. He was close to getting finished three or four times in this fight. And Murano did the right thing. He didn't swarm because he knows Ponzinibbio is dangerous. So when he had him rocked, he stayed patient. He stayed on the outside. Stayed picking his shots. He fought a clean fight. He was beating the piss out of Santiago Ponzinibbio. And then Ponzinibbio, man, he's just one of these guys with that power. Comes out of nowhere halfway through the third round. And, and just starches Murano, who... He probably would have gone on to coast to a decision. Although, you never know. You know, with this crack team of judges we had last night, I don't 
remember who the judges were. Maybe he wouldn't have won. <laughs> Maybe even then he wouldn't have won. But, man, you got to give it to Ponzinibbio. He's got to have incredible conditioning. His chin is great because a lot of those shots from Murano would have put a lot of people at welterweight out cold. So you got to give credit to Ponzinibbio for his chin and for his conditioning. Okay. Drickus Duplessis against Darren Till. Um, this was a one-sided fight. Duplessis was just mauling Darren Till. And it seemed like after the first round, he was just like exhausted. Like it, it seemed like he barely had enough breath in his lungs to be standing up. But then he would just like take a deep breath and take Darren Till down. He would take a deep breath and hit him with some big shots. There was one point Darren Till knocked him backwards. I think it was in the second round. Knocked him backwards into the cage. He bounced off the cage and fired in for a takedown. It was like something out of a pinball game. You know, he ricochets off the cage right into a takedown. It was pretty crazy to see. Ends up finishing him with a face crank. Um, uh, big win for Duplessis. Uh, puts him in the top 10, I believe. And, man, what do you do with Darren Till at this point? You know? We, we knew the grappling was a hole in his game ever since he was a welterweight. Three losses in a row. And then broken up with a win over Kelvin Gastelum in 2019. But before that, you know, two losses at welterweight to Tyron Woodley and Jorge Mazudal. So he moves up to middleweight, gets the win over Gastelum. People are like, oh, wow, he beat Kelvin Gastelum. You know, maybe middleweight's the weight class. But then loses a decision to Robert Whitaker. And it's like, all right, well, Robert Whitaker is the second best in the world at the time. Then he gets submitted by Derek Bronson. It's like, well, he still needs to work on the grappling. Meets up with Kamzat Shemaev. Starts working with all these Russian grapplers. You know, takes some time off. Really working on the grappling. Gets taken down at will by a guy who's not really a grappler. What do you do with Darren Till? You can't get rid of him. Like he's too popular. You know, he's definitely a fan favorite still, I'd say. He's got a great personality. You got to give him a winnable fight. You got to give him a fight where somebody's going to get in there and trade with him. And not wrestle him at all. Like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you do here. But um, Duplessis is going to climb the ladder. Um, I'd be worried for this guy in a five-round fight. I don't know if he's going to change his diet or change his training or, or something, but it seems like the guy carries so much muscle. Um, a five-round fight is going to be really challenging for him. Uh, Ilya Taporia just beat the brakes off of Bryce Mitchell. I love the quote I saw from Taporia earlier in the week. It said something along the lines 
I'm going to smash his face as flat as he thinks the earth is. I thought that was pretty witty. I don't know if somebody wrote that pocket statement for him or, or if Taporia is just like a down low, like witty dude. But I like that. Um, submits Bryce Mitchell. So that was probably underdog money there. If you bet Taporia by submission, a lot of people thought he would knock him out. Um, it seems like Bryce just had nothing on his strikes. Um, he seemed very tentative to engage. He was backing up a lot and his takedowns weren't working. And even when it went to the ground, Taporia was dominant there too. Um, this dude is legit. You know, he's, he's a problem in this featherweight division. And I know, um, he's got his, he's got his little thing with, with Patty Pimblett, but you know, we got to let this go. I, I don't need to see that fight. I don't want to see Taporia move up and wait to fight Patty Pimblett. I, I think he probably beats him. But, um, yeah, I mean, his last four fights in the UFC all finishes. And all against tough dudes. Damon Jackson, Ryan Hall, Jai Herbert, Bryce Mitchell. So, yeah, um, Taporia is a problem, man. He's, he, he's a special talent, I'm going to tell you. Then we have Raul Rosas Jr. submitting Jay Perrin. This is fucking nuts, guys. This kid just turned 18 years old. And he walked in that octagon with the confidence of someone who had 10 fights under those lights. Nothing phased him. He had a flawless performance, submits his opponent two minutes, 44 seconds, sets a record for being the youngest fighter to compete in the UFC, to win in the UFC, um, probably a record that will never be close to being broken. Um, he, and he just has like this it factor about him. You know, it's the confidence it's the skills, the way he combines everything together. Which is crazy because, you know, a few months ago we saw Bo Nickel, um, who's a high-level All-American wrestler, come into MMA, destroyed a dude on the Contender Series, and Dana White was like, I don't know if he's ready. And then here comes this, I think, 17-year-old kid at the time, in Rosas and Dana White's like, I got to see what this kid can do in the UFC. So Bo Nickel's not ready. Well, I, he wound up taking Bo Nickel eventually, but, um, but right away he says Rosas is in. And, you know, they both have, I'd say equally impressive talent, different weight classes, kind of different skill sets, but, Man, Rosas looked good. He looked comfortable on the feet. Uh, he, he didn't get touched, not a scratch on him. And then, you know, he got Perrin down, who's, I think, 11 years older than him or something. 
submits him in the first round. They're calling this a face face crank too, because it wasn't really a choke. But um, yeah, I mean, congratulations, kid. I don't know, I don't know what this kid's gonna be capable of, like when he grows into his man body. Um, hopefully, hopefully we don't have a situation where, you know, it's too much on his body. Um, too soon. Um, and, and hopefully they're able to, to kind of build them up slowly, but like, it's very clear that the kid has star power potential. You're not going to be able to feed him low level fighters for very long. You know, you're going to have to test them sooner than later. So we'll see how it goes. crazy the kids never even voted in a presidential election yet <laughs> and he's got a victory in the ufc pretty wild to think about all right jairzinho rosenstrike who has like fucking 50 or 60 something knockouts as a kickboxer just fights like a charging rhino against chris Dawkins and puts him out in 23 seconds I don't think anybody's surprised by this one. Um, you know, Dawkins, he, he's just, you know, I think it was Derek Lewis was the first one to knock him out. And, you know, since then, it, it, it seems like maybe he hasn't taken off enough time in between fights um, to, to really recover to like reset his brain. But, man, Rosenstrike is a scary dude. A lot of people forget the power this guy has. Just because, you know, once he got up there with the upper echelon with guys like Cyril Ghosn, um, who, who were able to be patient with him and keep him at distance and, and use strategy against him, people forget how dangerous this dude is. And he reminded everybody. He just charged across. He was like, fist first across that octagon. What baffled me is like right at the end of the fight, he grabs a hoodie from somebody and puts it on and zips it all the way up to his chin. This guy's like 260 something pounds. He just warmed up in the back, came out, knocked a dude out in 23 seconds. And he's like, you know what? It's a little chilly. I need to zip off a hoodie real quick. Like I was, I was sweating, like watching him put that thing on. Like, I don't know if that was mandatory or something, but crazy. Edmund Shabazian on the comeback trail against Stalcha Lungiambula. Lungiambula, man, if you looked at these two side by side and, and told someone on the street, like, these two guys are going to fight each other in a cage, you'd be like, wow, I hope Shabazian's family has a headstone picked out because Lungiambula is built like a damn bodybuilder like a Greek statue. But it didn't seem to matter. Shabazi was just picking him apart in that first round, and Lungambula was going in, trying to close the distance, trying to do anything, get a hold of him. Nothing worked, and finally Shabazi puts him down in the second round. Uh, Chris Curtis. Um, I had a buddy of mine who was, who was going to bet on Joaquin Buckley <clears throat> and sent me, you know, 
sent me a list of, of the people they were betting on. And I said, I agree with this. I don't agree with that. And I said, um, I wouldn't bet against Chris Curtis in this one. Uh, and for the reasons that the fight played out, you know, Chris Curtis, just such clean boxing. Um, Buckley throws everything hard. He throws everything explosive. You know, there's a lot of wasted energy. There's not a lot of setups. You know, if he catches you with one of those shots, it's trouble. But Chris Curtis is a more methodical fighter. He gets in and out of the pocket. He's got really great boxing. He mixes in his kicks well. And, um, man, the the picture, like the slow-mo picture of Buckley hitting the ground was gruesome. It looked like it looked like his neck was knocked off of his head and it was just a head sitting on his shoulders and, and you know, his face looked very uncomfortable, but big win for the action man, Chris Curtis. Of course, we already talked about my boy, Billy Q. So happy for that dude. And then TJ Brown submits Eric Silva with an arm triangle and Cameron's, uh, Simon with a TKO in the curtain joker, curtain jerker over Steven Coslow. What a card, man. How many fights was it? 10 finishes, 10 fights, 10 finishes. I don't know if that's a record. Has there ever been a card where like it's been all finishes? We came damn close. And it's too bad we didn't get to see that because. You know, then we had all this controversy with the judges. It gets people up in arms about the sport and and whatnot. I don't like to dwell on that stuff. I'm going to try and stay positive about it and think like the judges were just influenced by the crowd. I know that's a, a bit of a naive way to think, but, you know, we can we can pretend for a little while longer, can't we? Sure we can. Let's look ahead to next week. Because this is a fun card. A really fun card, actually. I got a couple of sleeper fights for you on this one. So, UFC Fight Night 216. It's going to be back at the Apex. Headlined by Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland. So Cannonier, you know, coming off of his title fight with Adesanya. Sean Strickland coming off a loss to the current champ, Alex Perea. So we're going to see how he's going to be able to bounce back from that. Both of these guys coming back from losses into a main event, which is great for these guys. Um, I think even if Strickland wins here, he's going to be still far away from a title shot as long as Perea is champ anyway um after what he did to him but this is a fun fight this is a really fun fight you know strickland should be able to keep cannonier away uh with his range with his jab with his boxing you know cannonier is going to be trying to close the distance get in there with a big shot um or just get his hands on strickland and and drag him to the mat and and kind of pound him out there but 
from what I hear, Strickland is is pretty capable on the ground. So maybe we'll get a chance to see that next weekend. Then we got Armand Saryukian against Demir Ismagulov. That's a fun fight. Saryukian is a beast, man. This dude. Let's take a look at. I feel like he hasn't fought in a while. Okay, yeah, he had that main again main event uh, against Mataus Gamrot uh, that he lost not too long ago, back in June. Uh, so he's looking to bounce back here. And then Isma Gulov, undefeated in the UFC, hasn't lost a fight since 2015. Never been finished. So th this is a fun fight. Very fun fight. Amir Albazi against Alessandro Costa. I feel bad for the broadcasters in this one because there's like there's a lot of names that are hard to pronounce on this card. Alex Caceres and Juliana Rosa. Juliana Rosa, man, this dude has had like a renaissance, a revival, a rejuvenation in his career. Three wins in a row. Submitted Charles Jordan, um, decision over Steven Peterson, and then won his last fight in dominant fashion over Hakeem Dawadu. You know, here's a dude, Julian. Um, I've got a soft spot for Julian because he was on uh, Billy Q's season of The Ultimate Fighter, which was uh, season 22, I want to say. I should know this off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure it's season 22. Um, so they were on the same season there, so... I always root for Julian when he fights for that reason. Here's a fight that's going to be amazing. Drew Dober and Bobby Green. I can't see any way this fight is bad. Should be a little higher up on a card, I would think. That's going to be a great fight. Michael Olajanchuk versus Cody Brundage. That's a good one. Cheyenne Vlismas, who I believe was formerly Cheyenne Bays uh, against Corey McKenna. Nice little, uh, nice little strawweight scrap there. And we got Jake Matthews and Matthew Semlisberger. This fight, folks, is going to be excellent. I'm really looking forward to this one. So Samlisberger coming off a loss to Alex Morano. Um, he's only been like a little bit inconsistent, but this guy came smoking out of the barrel when he made his UFC debut. Um, you know, he had that 16 second knockout over Jason Witt and Jake Matthews. We all know is a beast. So that's going to be a fun fight. That's a sleeper pick for you right there. A lot of people aren't talking about Julian Marquez and Duran win is a really fun fight. Marquez is a big dude. Duran win is not, but he's a small stocky wrestler. Um, and it doesn't matter how big you are. If he gets a hold of you, he can fling you around uh, that cage. All right. Then we got Saeed Nurmagomedov against... Saeed Yokub Kakramanov. 
I think I got that one right, folks. Pat myself on the back real quick for that one. That master's degree in English uh, really coming in handy on this podcast. I'm able to barrel through a bunch of whiskey, which for anybody curious, I'm sipping on some Sazerac rye um, this evening. This, of course, the Sazerac company is also the parent company of Buffalo Trace. For you whiskey nerds out there, um, I got a little something else for you folks that are into whiskey a little bit later as well. Um, let's see. Brian Battle and Renat Fakredinov. This one, there's so many tongue twisters on this card. David Vorak against Manel Cape. That's going to be another fun one, flyweight fight. Manel Cape is a guy who came in with so much hype to the UFC and just has kind of under-delivered just because he doesn't pull the trigger. He tries to, like, fight safe, but then, you know, ends up losing decisions. And then Sergey Morozov against Journey Newsom, the first fight on the car. That was not too bad to pronounce, but we get a lot of, a lot of consonants, a lot of syllables uh, throughout this card. So I definitely don't envy the broadcasters on this one. I, I would be so paranoid about messing up a dude's name if I were a broadcaster. And I have no intentions of ever doing anything like that. Like mostly for this reason. I just wouldn't want to butcher people's names. All right, we know Mark is looking forward to Jake Matthews fighting his fellow countrymen there. Let's see, what else we got? All right. Real quick, since I didn't do a show last week, Stephen Thompson getting the win over Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland hurts his hand, corner throws in the towel um, at the fourth round. Um, a lot of respect for that call. You know, they knew their fighter couldn't be competitive out there and they had to make that tough decision. Of course, Kevin Holland, you know, would want to be drug out of the cage and, um, you know, didn't have that opportunity, but probably for the best. Wonder Boy, what do you do with Wonder Boy? Give me some ideas, folks. What are we doing with Wonder Boy? Can't put him in a title shot. You can't give him any of these grapplers at the top of the division. Wonder Boy versus Connor, I think, would be a great fight. I think that would be really fun. But you can't really put him against Connor because you need somebody who's going to like talk a little shit, be a little disrespectful, you know, rally some interest. Uh, RDA submitted Brian Barbarina. Mateos Nicolau knocked out Matt Schnell. Great performance. Sergey Pavlovich. How scary is this dude in the heavyweight division? Do we do Pavlovich versus Rosenstrike now? Two guys with like 20-something second knockout, 54-second knockout. Why don't we get these two together? Yeah, but Pavlovich is a scary dude. Then we have Roman Delidze, who knotted up Jack Hermanson in that weird calf slicer, took his back and 
took the TKO from there. That was pretty vicious. Another Dawkins brother got knocked out last week. Eric Anders delivered that one. Phil Rowe almost got knocked out in that third round and then came back and knocked out Nico Price. That was a wild-ass fight. Clay Guida still doing the damn thing. Getting the decision over Scott Holtzman in his last fight. Michael Johnson with the decision over Mark DeCasey. That was a fun fight. All right. For those of you just here for MMA, you're probably going to want to tune out now. In which case, I'll, I'll give you the whole spiel. You know, go buy our merchandise from uh, Team Reaper. Let me just get that up here right now real quick. Yeah, so I'm going to nerd out on some whiskey for a little bit. So those of you who are only here for MMA, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate every single one of you. I'm going to talk about booze. Uh, if you want to grab some merchandise, do so. Our friends at Team Reaper, reaper1.co is the website. You can use the promo code MMARocks10. Save yourself 10% on your entire order. Get yourself an over-the-top, under-the-influence T-shirt, hoodie, or tank top. Now... Whiskey Advocate released their top 20 whiskeys of 2022. Now, those in the whiskey world, we all kind of wait for this list to come out. And it comes out conveniently right around the holidays so that if there, if there are any whiskey drinkers in your family, you can kind of consult this list and... And kind of pick out, you know, if you know somebody likes Irish whiskey or, you know, somebody likes scotch, you know, somebody likes bourbon. There's something for everybody on this list. Now, all that being said, just be careful when you look at this list, because some of the spots on this list. Much like the Patty Pimblet fight. Are potentially bought and paid for. Um, the last couple of years, I have not agreed with the number one whiskey on the list. So last year was the Lagavulin 11. Not a fan, personally. I think it's the worst Lagavulin that's come out. Um, before that, it was Larceny uh, Barrel Strength. Not a fan of that either. And I love weeded bourbons. Do not like larceny for some reason i didn't like the barrel strength either it just it just didn't do it for me i it just like the flavor profile doesn't work if you look at the top of this list it's some bigger brands now the good thing about it is so the number one whiskey according to whiskey advocate that and these are whiskeys that were released within the last calendar year Number one, Jack Daniels bonded. Okay. The good thing about this, now they gave it a score of 97, which, you know, to a sophisticated whiskey palate that I, and I haven't tried this whiskey. I plan on sampling it uh, live on the air next week. I, I'm willing to bet this whiskey is not a 97. And it's probably not the best whiskey that's come out this year. But for 30 bucks, 
or 35 bucks, whatever it happens to be in your local area. You want to get a nice Christmas gift for, you know, the whiskey connoisseur in your family. Hey, this was the number one whiskey this year, according to the whiskey advocate thing. You know, you spend 30 bucks. It's a nice, thoughtful gift. Um, you know, with the Jack Daniels brand, you can't really go wrong. Their single barrels are excellent. Um, so this is bonded. So for those of you who don't know, bottled and bond is actually a law in these great United States that says the whiskey has to be aged for a minimum of four years in new oak barrels, and it has to be bottled at 100 proof. So you're getting a nice, high-quality whiskey that's 100 proof. It's a nice-strength whiskey, and you're getting it for 30-something bucks. You know, and it, technically it is the number one whiskey. I'll give you my determination next week on whether or not I agree with that. But, you know, for 30 bucks, I'm, I'm willing to, to find out for myself. Number two, Red Breast Kentucky Oak Edition. So this has been kind of popular lately with the Irish whiskeys where they kind of do an American style where, you know, they'll age in the oak barrels. Uh, I'm kind of curious about this one, but you could see the price tag on it, 95 bucks for a bottle. Um, and it's kind of pricey to, to take a gamble on this. Redbreast is an excellent Irish whiskey. You know, it's it, the, the 12 year Redbreast is, is top three Irish whiskeys for me of all time. Um, they make excellent products. They don't cut corners. Um, everything I've ever had from them has been great. I don't doubt that this is an excellent whiskey, but at 95 bucks, it is kind of a gamble to find out, you know, if they did, if they did the oak aging properly. So it, you know, if you're looking for that, that special Christmas gift for someone, you know, is into Irish whiskey, this may not be the way to go because if it's aged in oak barrels, it's not going to have that Irish whiskey flavor profile. It's not going to have, you know, those kind of like buttery biscuit notes, those like really stark vanilla notes that the Irish whiskeys are known for. It's going to have a, a darker feel to it, like more like a bourbon, like more of the caramels, more of the, the dark cherries, more things like that um, when, you, when you're working with oak barrels. Okay. Uh, number three, Barrel Vantage. Um, I've had a lot of stuff from barrel. A lot of it is excellent. Uh, they make great stuff, but you run into the same issue here, the price tag. So you're looking at 90 bucks for this whiskey. It's a really strong whiskey. I wouldn't recommend this as a gift for anyone who's new to whiskey. You know, this higher proof stuff, you kind of have to have a higher tolerance, uh, a more, developed palette to really appreciate it so i would kind of stay away from this altogether doers came out with a 12 year this year 30 bucks for this bottle i have had all kinds of whiskey from all over the world doers is very difficult for me to choke down um, the doers white label was kind of like the staple of our 
of our grandparents' generation. My grandfather drank Dewar's White Label. And I have tried so many times to connect with this whiskey um, just to feel some kind of connection with my grandfather who's no longer with us. And I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too harsh for me. You know, I, I've drank whiskey that's, uh, you know, 130 proof and, and beyond. I, but, you know, $30 bottle. So if you're looking for somebody who's into scotch, like, hey, this was the number four whiskey this year. And you're spending 30 bucks. So there's that. I'm going to kind of skim over the rest of this list. So Westward is um, a whiskey from the West Coast. Comes out of Oregon. I don't know anything about it, but it's 100 bucks for a bottle. You're looking at 62.5%. So that's a strong whiskey. It's got a dark color to it. I would imagine it's a cast strength. So you're looking at like 125 proof. Um, not for the new whiskey drinker, I would say. Middleton, very rare, $200 bottle for an Irish whiskey. I would never pay that much for an Irish whiskey. So pass. Blue Note, Juke Joint Uncut. I'm kind of curious about this one. It's a Kentucky whiskey, 45 bucks, not going to break the bank. I think I've even seen it for 40 bucks on the shelf at Lucan's here. Uh, I plan on checking this one out. I'll let you guys know what I think of it. Um, but, you know, for number seven on the list, if you're looking for a gift for a whiskey or bourbon drinker in your family, 40, 45 bucks. Um, I don't think you can go wrong. Okay. My buddy, Dave Shively, who is a fellow whiskey drinker says it's good stuff. So I'm probably going to pick up out of everything in the top 20. This is one that I've had my eye on. So I'm probably going to pick up a bottle of this in the near future. Uh, number eight, we got Limavati single barrel, another Irish whiskey, 50 bucks again for an Irish whiskey. If it's not green spot or red breast, uh, I'm looking to spend a little less than this. Um, so I would stay away from this one as well. Number nine, Brook Lodic, eight-year-old. I am very curious about this one. So Brook Lodic um, makes some excellent scotch. Um, the classic Laddie is one of my favorite scotches from them. Um, and then, which is like a very mild scotch. And then they have a lot of great, like really peaty, smoky stuff as well. Um, I've, I've liked pretty much everything I've had from Brook Lodic. So even at 75 bucks a bottle, I'd be willing to give this one a try. They're eight year. Um, so it's an, it's an Isla whiskey. So Isla is an island in Scotland uh, where they're known for peated whiskeys. So they take peat and burn it. And that smoke from the peat gets into the whiskey and gives it that real smoky flavor. A lot of people associate it with like boiled band-aids. Um, Nelson brothers reserve. So this is the, the company that's associated with bell mead. You guys have heard me talk about bell mead on the show a lot, quite a bit. Um, I'm a big fan of bell mead. I have had this Nelson brothers reserve and it's okay. Um, for 60 bucks, 
I think it's not worth it for this kind of pour. Um, if this bottle was like 40 bucks, 35 bucks, I'd say, yeah, all day. It's a nice, nice little sipper. It's got a lot of the flavors you like in bourbons or that I like in bourbons. It's got like the dark cherry. It's got the vanilla. It's got the caramel, but they don't quite meld together perfectly in this blend. And maybe I'll have an update on it when I'm a little more into the bottle and it's about 107 proof somewhere in there 107 108 um so you know it's a nice little sipper so that's the top 10 of the whiskey advocate then we got some other things in here we got uh, some japanese whiskey we've got a bardstown we got a bushmills who put out a 12 year this year Again, I, I wouldn't pay 60 bucks for a bottle of Bushmills. Um, Teeling, another Irish whiskey that is very good, but you're looking at 100 bucks for an Irish whiskey. Mm, I wouldn't touch that one. Blackened, which is like the Metallica uh, whiskey. Uh, they came out with a rye this year. Uh, $70 for a rye is a little bit steep, but... You know, take a look at the list, read the description, see if there's anything up your alley or, you know, if you're looking for a gift for somebody um, who's into whiskey, you can't go wrong just grabbing them something off of this list because any whiskey drinker is going to say like, oh, this was on Whiskey Advocate. I'm, you know, kind of curious to try all 20 of these. So there's that. There's my uh, my whiskey shopping guide. Uh, for those of you uh, looking to buy some whiskey for the whiskey drinker in your family this year. All right. So that's it. Another big shout out to my boy, Dave Mundell, who's the champ BKFC. We're going to have him on the show real soon. And a big sh shout out to Billy Quarantillo for his huge comeback victory at UFC 282. Um, awesome weekend of fights. Awesome last few weeks of fights. Um Sorry the show has been inconsistent, but I'm dealing with shit, folks. My house is falling apart. Uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. Thanks, as always, for all the shares, everyone who subscribes, everyone who leaves comments, everyone who leaves feedback, everyone who leaves criticism. I even appreciate you guys. Keep it up. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>